Years ago, according to a popular legend, if the king of Siam wanted to get rid of you, he would give you a special gift, and that special gift was a white elephant. Now, when I say white elephant, you know, don't thank those tacky gifts that we exchange at office Christmas parties. You know, I mean a white elephant, like literally a white elephant. And on the surface, this would look like a very generous gift on the king's part, but he actually intended it to destroy you. See, when, when he gives you, when the king gives you a white elephant, first of all, you, you can't say, no, thank you, because it's the king. You can't refuse the gift, and you can't re-gift it to somebody else. You can't say, well, I'll just give it to, you know, my uh, brother-in-law, Harry. So you, you have to receive it. And because the white elephant was a sacred animal, you, you had to take care of it. You had to feed it. You had to maintain its health. You had to pick up after it. And all of these things would be physically exhausting and time-consuming and very expensive. It would leave you destitute, which is exactly what the king had intended. Now, there's a moral to the story. The the moral is, sometimes we look at our, our possessions as if they were a great blessing, when the reality is they're oftentimes burdensome. In fact, they're, they're downright danger, dangerous. They can leave us destitute. We, we are in the third of the final week of a series called Limits That Liberate. We have been studying what the Bible teaches about saying no to certain things in our lives in order that we can say yes to other really, really, really important things. So the first week of the series, a couple weekends ago, we, we talked about saying no to busyness. By the way, that was the weekend when it was so cold that uh, some of you, you, you couldn't make your way here. And I would say, if you haven't listened to that message yet, we deliberately chose it to launch the new year because we know how desperately we all need it. So go online, listen to it, please. Okay, Say no to busyness. Why would you want to do that? So that you could say yes to rest and refreshment and time to worship God. And then last, last weekend, Pastor Jameson spoke about saying no to noise. Why say no to noise? Well, so that you can think clearly, so that you can listen to God's word, you know, so, so that you can enjoy a moderate dose of media instead of being super saturated by it. Now, my guess is that I'm going to have a little bit harder time Uh, getting you to say no to today's topic, because today's topic is say no to accumulation. Yes, to say no to busyness, say no to noise, we're all thinking that's a good idea, but say no to accumulation, we're not so certain. If I I told you I've got a magic wand here today, and I could wave this wand over, over you, and I could get rid of some of the busyness in your life, some of the noise in your life, most of you would say, wave away. Yeah, thank you very much. But if I said, hey, hey I'm going to use my magic wand, I'm, ta- I'm going to take away some of your stuff, okay? So you're, you won't be bothered with that extra car, or the big screen TV, or the espresso maker, or the collection of video games. How about that? You interested? Maybe not. Maybe not. So my challenge today is to help us all see the dangerous downside of everything we we can accumulate, that it can be as burdensome as a white elephant, because only then will we be eager to say no to accumulation. Our scripture today is Exodus chapter 16. So I want you to take uh, your Bible out and turn to the second book of the Bible, chapter 16. 
And I'm going to read a story to you here. Get the outline from your program out as well. This is a really practical series. And God has told us he doesn't want us to be just hearers of his word. He wants us to be doers. So if you come and you hear and you don't do anything with it, you know, God's shaking his head. Come on, that's not why I brought you here. So jot down what you think God wants you to do as a result of what you hear today, okay? So background for the story, Exodus 16. God's people have just been delivered from 430 years of slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way across the desert to the promised land. You would think that they, they would be elated. They'd be jumping up and down. No longer slaves, and we're headed to this real estate that God has in store for us. Life is good. But instead, every step of the way, they're, they're complaining. They're grumbling. I used to do construction with a guy years ago. Did construction with a guy whose favorite phrase when we came across whiners, he would say, that guy would whine if you hung him with a new rope. I always like that. I've used it a lot since. You know, some people are like, they will whine about every stinking thing. And that's the group described here in Exodus 16. Now, specifically, they, they were whining because they didn't have enough food. They wanted food, and they wanted it now. And God amazingly, graciously decides to overlook their ingratitude, overlook their surliness, and provide food for them. Now, I'm going to read a chunk of a story, then we're going to draw three lessons from it in how to say no to accumulation. Pick it up at verse 11, Exodus 16. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread, and then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Frosted flakes. <laughs> just, just a thought. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone's to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much. The one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, now, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, well, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever's left, and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless... Some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And so the people rested on the seventh day. Three lessons 
about saying no to accumulation. And we're going to start at the end of the story. As I said to you earlier, unless we understand the dangers associated with accumulating too much stuff, we're, we're not going to want to do it. So that's where we're going to begin. If you, you got an outline, here's the first lesson. Beware of the dangers of having too much. Okay, beware of the dangers of having too much. Let me give you three such dangers right from the story. Danger number one, rot sets in. Rot sets in. Now, how did that happen in Exodus 16? Well, let me recap it for you. God's people complain they don't have enough food, so God sends them quail every evening, sends them this uh, flaky, bread-like substance in the morning. They walk out of their tent, and there it is. Now, this uh, flaky, bread-like substance, they see it, and they ask the question, what is it? And that becomes the name for the flaky, bread-like substance, because in Hebrew, what is it is manna. So they walk out and they say, manna, what is it? Well, that, let's call it that, manna. It's a good thing to keep in mind when you, you get something put on your dinner table that you don't recognize. Just say, manna. And then you'll probably get slugged if they know what you've just asked, all right? Now, I, do, I don't want you to think this is distasteful, this, this manna. It's not, it's not like stale crackers. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, uh, manna is described as the food of angels, and as Scripture says, it, it tastes like wafers made with honey. So think baklava without the calories, okay? That's what we're talking about. And the people loved it. The people loved it. Moses warned them, okay, as good as it tastes, only gather a day's worth at a time. No more. Don't keep it. Don't gather a lot in the hopes of keeping it, hoarding it for tomorrow. So what do they do? Look at verse 20 one more time. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Yuck. Pretty disgusting. Too much accumulated stuff rots. Now, what is the application for our lives? Let's be honest. Okay, there are too many clothes in our closets. There are too many toys on our, our toy shelves, too many cars in our garages. Too many tools on our workbenches, too many DVDs on our bookshelves, too many square feet in our houses, too many appliances on our kitchen uh, countertops. We can't possibly use everything we've accumulated. And so much of it goes unused. Much of it ends up being wasted. It, it, it rots, as it were. Do you know how many times the average brand new exercise cycle is used? I came across this figure totally startling. The average exercise cycle gets used 7.2 times. And then it's retired to, you know, the basement to gather dust or the laundry room where you hang clothes on it or whatever. 7.2 times. Elaine St. James has written a book called Simplify Your Life. In the book, she tells an interesting, uh, amusing anecdote on herself. She says uh, she likes a good nail file, emery board. I don't know what it is about women in emery boards, okay? My wife chooses in the car all the time to do that. I try to have a conversation with a woman when it's... So, uh, Elaine St. James, I just needed to get that off my chest. Okay. Elaine St. James says she came across this stainless steel nail file that was just terrific. And after using it for a couple of weeks, she decided she needed about a dozen of these. 
So she bought extras, and she put one in the nightstand next to her bed and one in her purse and one in the kitchen drawer and one in the, one in the glove compartment of her car. She had one everywhere. She said, you know what I discovered over time? When I had one, I always knew where it was. Now I can't find a nail file. Isn't that just the way it goes with the stuff we accumulate? Oftentimes it goes unused. Now, if you discover that you've accumulated stuff that you're not using, what do you think you ought to do with it? Get rid of it. Give it away. Give it away. Yeah, some time ago, uh, we had one of our, our student ministries interns living in our finished basement. We have a succession of people who, who live with us, and at this time it was an intern, and uh, he was getting to know our neighbors over the backyard fence, Don and Karen, a wonderful couple, generous people. And they said to him, you know, we've got an almost new bicycle in our garage that we never use. It's yours if you could use it. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, I think it's cool. Although I, I got to admit at the time, my first reaction was, Don, Karen, why are you giving this away? You could sell it at a garage sale and get some money for it. I amaze myself how shallow I am on occasion. That's, that's what we think, right? We don't think give it away. We think garage sale. Let's make some money off of it. You know, there's a, a woman writer in New York City. Uh, her name is, is Liz McKenna, and she writes that her birthday was approaching, and she looked around her home and realized she, she has everything she needs. She has two and three of everything she needs. So she sent out an invitation to her party and she said, I don't want you to bring a gift. I want you to come. Listen, I want you to come and take something away. Not a cool idea. What if we went through our closets and basements and bookshelves and garages and we, we boxed stuff up that we're not using and we dropped it off with one of Christ Community Church's community impact partners? How many of you know about Wayside Cross and North Aurora. It's a great place to take stuff you're not using. And they'll make some money off of it for a worthy cause, and people will get stuff cheap. So too much stuff rot sets in. Here's the second danger. Relationships with God suffer. Go back to the story, Exodus 16, another piece of instruction that Moses gives to the people about collecting manna is that they're not supposed to do it on the Sabbath day. Now, two, two weeks ago, we learned that God has commanded us, not suggested, he's commanded us in his holy word that one day a week is supposed to look different than the other six days. Okay, one day a week, we're supposed to stop working so that we can get some rest, we can get some refreshment. And this day, according to scripture, is not to revolve around ourselves, it's to revolve around who? Call it out. God, it's God's day. It's a day to revolve around God. Well, look at what happens, verse 26. Six days, Moses says, you're to gather the manna on the seventh day, the Sabbath. There won't be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, see if you could feel the tension here. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? You know, I gave you this commandment, don't work. It's a day to revolve around me and you go out collecting manna. So you know, our, our tendency, friends, is to accumulate stuff day after day after day, 24-7, and it really rankles God. It destroys our relationship with him. And the Bible makes this point repeatedly. 
Just jot down these references. You could look them up on your own sometime. We won't turn to each one. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Now, mammon is another word for stuff or stuff, the things we accumulate. Interestingly, though, in the Aramaic language that Jesus was speaking, mammon was a proper name. So it's as if Jesus wants to personify stuff. So you got the living God and you got your living stuff. You know, who's going to control your life? On another occasion, Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a parable in which he says, you know, when you first surrender your life to Christ, it's like God's word gets planted as a little seed in your heart. And, and it, it, if the soil of your heart is good, that plant will begin to grow. Some of you are experiencing that today. You're, you're growing spiritually. But Jesus says, watch out because there's some conditions in the soil that can choke out the life, the spiritual life that got planted in you. And one of those bad conditions is weeds, thorns. And he defines what he means by weeds and thorns in verse 19 of Mark 4. He calls it the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. See, the thorns are too much accumulated stuff, and Jesus says they're going to choke out your spiritual life. You know, people tell me on, a, on occasion, well, if you can afford something, I mean, isn't that okay then? See, I'm not going into debt. I know what the Bible says about debt. You shouldn't go there, but I make a lot of money. We, we could do whatever, buy whatever we want, go wherever we, we, we want to go. And Jesus, you know, there's still a danger here, and the danger is too much stuff chokes out your spiritual life. So you might be able to afford the next car or the next vacation trip or whatever. Doesn't mean it's a good idea. And too much of that is going to choke out the spiritual life. Colossians 3, verse 5. The Apostle Paul warns us about a few behaviors that God hates, and the list culminates with greed. Greed is the constant desire for more. Paul explains that the reason God hates greed is because greed is another form of idolatry. Stuff becomes as important to us as God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 19. Paul says that people who are eager for money and the stuff that money can buy are prone to wander from their faith in God. You know, accumulation creates spiritual drift in our lives. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says that there is going to be no room in our hearts for a love for God if our hearts are filled with a love for stuff. See, how many ways does God have to say it? Too much shopping, too much buying, too much accumulating, too much fixating on stuff is not just a harmless pastime. It's disastrous for our relationship with God. And i got to tell you, I cringe every time I hear people talk about their possession, something new they just bought as if, you know, it's a blessing, it's God's blessing. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe it is. Maybe in your case, in this instance, it is. But I, I happen to know from what Scripture teaches, sometimes those things are not blessings. Sometimes they're, they're thorns that are choking out our spiritual life. They're dangers to be avoided. You get it? Third danger, rest disappears. You know, after God scolds the people for manna collecting on the Sabbath day, and go back to Exodus 16, look at verse 29 again. They go back to what they were supposed to be doing on that day, and to verse 30, what was that? What did they do? Call it out. They rested. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be resting. The, the accumulating of stuff 
will exhaust us. I mean, for starters, we'll, we'll get exhausted just in the choosing of more stuff, right? I mean, you go into Jewel these days, there are 177 kinds of salad dressing. Did you know that? You know, go buy a box of cereal, not only a bazillion kinds of cereal. Take one kind, checks. I like checks. But you're going to buy rice checks, you're going to buy wheat checks, you're going to buy cinnamon checks, apple checks, you know, honey nut checks. What kind of checks are you going to buy? Or you want to get some electronic gear, you want a new cell phone, you, you want a pad, so you, you go to Best Buy or you go to the Apple store. How many options are you going to be presented with? You go into Starbucks for a cup of coffee. Okay, you're going to get hot, you're going to get cold, you're going to get tall, you're going to get grande, you're going to get caffeinated, you're going to get decaf, you're going to put cream in it, you're going to put skim milk in it. And I'm just talking coffee. I haven't even started on the foo-foo drinks that you could get. I mean, the, the choosing is exhausting these days. And then there's the maintaining once you've purchased it. Because everything you buy has to be washed or painted or programmed or reprogrammed or recharged or upgraded. We, we get exhausted by the choosing, by the maintaining, by the using. So you buy yourself some season tickets and now you look at your schedule and you've got to find a way to get into the city for all those games. And if you can't make it in, then you've got to find somebody who will buy the tickets off you for that game. You know, whatever it is you purchase, you've you got you, you to use the new snow skis. You've got to use the bass boat, the museum passes, the health club membership, the new puppy needs to be walked. You know, everything you buy screams, use me, use me, use me. And then we get exhausted, some of us, by the financing of what we've purchased and put on credit card. You know, debt can be a heavy burden, so choosing, maintaining, using, financing, there is no peace, there is no rest. You know, I love the poem I came across, a guy saying all the stuff I've accumulated, it's keeping me from sleeping at night. So he, he wrote a poem, he wrote a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray my Cuisinart to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise, that all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough, that all my sushis freshen up. I pray my cell phone battery works, that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate, my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake, I pray my Volvo they won't take. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope I've, I've convinced you to beware of the dangers of too much stuff. Because rot sets in, because a relationship with God suffers, because rest disappears. And now if you're ready to say no to accumulation, oh, I get it, dangerous. I got two more lessons from Exodus 16. So here's the second lesson. Honor the source of everything you have. Honor the source of everything you have. When the people grumble for more food, it's God who provides them with quail and manna. It's God who provides them. And the writer of the story in Exodus 16 makes sure that we get the point, that it's come from God's hand because it arrives miraculously. Okay, the quail drops out of the sky and all they got to do is go out and pick it up. They walk out of their tent in the morning and the, the manna is there on the ground with the morning dew. So the, amazing. It's God. It's a God thing. In fact, look at verse 15. Let me read it to you again. 
When the Israelites saw it, the manna, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, get this, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. The Lord has given you. This has come from God's hand. Everything we accumulate ultimately can be traced back to God. God is the provider. Now, that, that should be an obvious point, but I'll tell you what, what many of us say. We would not say it out loud. We would not say it at church, but we're thinking this. We would say it to ourselves, and it's, well, wait a second. I'm responsible for the stuff I have. I, I'm the guy who went out and worked the job so that I could make the money to put in the bank account so that I could write the check for the stuff that I wanted to purchase. I, 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 I. Really? Well, let's just trace that argument back to its stepping off point. I went out and got the job. I worked. Yeah, who gave you life to begin with? Who gave you the skill set, the mental acumen to do the job, whatever the job is that you do? Yeah, who, who opened the door with the employer who hired you? Who, who is it that gives you strength so you could haul your carcass out of bed when the alarm goes off in the morning? I think that would be God, 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 and God, right? This notion that it's, it's me who does this. See, when, when stuff begins to accumulate in our lives, our tendency is to start viewing it as having come from our own hand. And so it's natural to talk about my SUV or my iPad, my treadmill. My cabin in the woods, my new sofa, my Rolex, my latte, my, 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 my. And where did all that stuff come from? Well, that would be God, 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 God. And if that's the case, maybe, okay, maybe God would want to be recognized. Maybe he'd want to be honored as the source of everything we have. Just a thought. Two ways to honor God in this regard. Jot these down. First is thanksgiving. Okay. How do we recognize God? How do we honor God as the source of everything we have? It begins with thanksgiving. A few years ago in November, just before Thanksgiving, I got a flyer in the mail from a local company. Now, they had obviously hired a marketing firm. This was a really attractive multi-page piece. It was called Give Thanks. And I thought, you know, in light of the holiday, how nice. And there was uh, three or four articles. There were three or four articles. So I read through them. The first article was about how to say thank you to friends and coworkers and so on. They had some good creative ideas. Bring bagels with you to work or give somebody movie passes, send flowers. Uh, second article was on how to write a thank you note. And real practical advice, don't just email it, you know, handwrite something, put it in an envelope, insert a photograph or something, you know, be specific in what you're thanking people for. There, there was an article in there called Tips on Tipping. And they, they told you, you know, how much you should tip your kid's grade school teacher, you know, 25, 30 bucks. And if you got a babysitter, give them the equivalent of one night's worth of work. And if you're, you're going to the uh, beauty salon, make sure that you tip your shampooer 10 bucks, which I found very helpful. I never know what to tip my, my shampooer. <laughs> and then there was an article entitled Facts Related to Thanksgiving, which I found amusing 265 million turkeys are being raised in the U.S. right now for next Thanksgiving. 664 million pounds of cranberries will be harvested this year. The average person will consume 4.7 pounds of sweet potatoes over the next 12 months. This is good information to know. 
I read that giving thanks flyer beginning to end. And you know what surprised me most about it? What they left out. They left out a significant word. There, there was not a single solitary reference to God. The, the, the word G-O-D didn't appear anywhere in the flyer. And I thought to myself, how can we talk about giving thanks and not mention God? D don't, we get, don't we understand who the source of everything is? Friends, Thanksgiving not only honors God as the provider of all our stuff, it also offsets our tendency to accumulate too much stuff. I mean, how does it do that? Now think about it. The more you thank God, you express, you, 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 you actually do it. You don't just think about doing it. You actually give God things. Express gratitude to him. The more content you are with what you have and the more content you are with what you already have, the less you seem to want. I've got a Ford Escape that's eight years old. It's got thousands and thousands of miles on it. And I've got to tell you, if I wanted to, I've got the money in the bank. I could afford a new vehicle, but I don't want one. I mean, I really don't want one. And it's not just because my car is running fine. It's because I've made a practice, and I know you're thinking I'm making this up because I'm a pastor, but this is the honest-to-goodness truth. My practice almost every time I get in my vehicle is to say, thanks, God, for this car. And there's something about saying thank you that leads me to be content with what I already have, and so I don't feel like I need a new one of it. You, you with me on this? What if we did this every time we feel a need for something new, before we went out and, and purchased it, we just thank God for what we already have in that category. Thank you, God, for the family room wallpaper that we've had for 10 years now. But thank you, you know. Thank you for the black shoes I already have, for the jeans I already have. Thank you for the skateboard I already have. Thank you for the car I already have. You know, there's something about giving thanks that leads to contentment, and when you're contented, you're not accumulating a bunch of extra stuff. Now, there is a second way in which, which we can honor God as the source of everything we have, and that's tithing. Now, you know what tithing is. It means giving the first 10% of every dollar we make back to the Lord. That's, that's what God's word requires of those of us who are Christ followers. If you want to walk in obedience to God with regard to the management of your money, that's what God's word says you should do. And, and God's word says that when you, do, when you tithe, you're making a statement. The statement you're making is, God, I'm giving you this in recognition that everything I have comes from you. This is a token amount that says, I recognize that. And con listen, conversely, when you refuse or you ne neglect to tithe, what you're saying to God is, this is my money. Keep your hands off of it. And I want to know... Who would do something like that? Isn't that rather foolish on our part? Is that really what you want to say to God? Do you really want to withhold a tithe and say to God, I don't want you involved in this area of my life. I don't know about you, but I definitely want God participating in the financial area of my life. Stretching my dollar to cover all the bases it needs to cover. Giving me joy in being generous and so on. I was... Uh, reading an email from someone not too long ago. And uh, this is what she says. And by the way, this is not an isolated email. I get 
notes and emails like this all the time. She says, for years, I was stuck in a place of thinking, I will be happy when you can fill in the blank. I thought I would be happy when I left my former job, but I wasn't. I thought I would be happy when my children were no longer infants and screaming all the time, but I wasn't. I thought I would be happy when financially we were in a better place, but I wasn't. There was that void I couldn't fill. And then she tells me how coming to this conclusion and hearing a sermon on tithing at Christ Community Church, she and her husband decided to venture into it. And she concludes her email, taking the tithing challenge meant giving up control of my money, which in turn helped me give up control elsewhere in my life. I started serving and focusing on what God wanted for my life, not what I wanted for my life. Now get the last line, and happiness started creeping back in. Happiness, joy comes when you recognize God as the source of everything you have, and tithing is one of the ways you do it. I've got to tell you about something really wild that happened the last time I was in West Africa visiting our international impact partner there. Some of you know Shadanke Johnson. You know, I love that guy. Some of you have gone to Sierra Leone on a go team trip with our church, or you've heard Shadanke preach on this platform from time to time. So I'm in, in Bo, Sierra Leone. Uh, where his ministry is located, and I go to a church service one night. Now, we arrive a little bit late. The sun has set. It's dark out, but it's still in the high 80s outside. And you step into the church, and there are a 1,000-plus people wall-to-wall packed, jam-packed into the church, and it's got to be over 100 degrees in there. But they're all on their feet, and they're worshiping, and the place is humming. And all of a sudden, the worship leader shouts out, Time for the blessing! And everybody shouts back, offering. And I'm thinking, did I hear that right? Time for the blessing, offering. And the band cranks up a worship song. And row by row, people leave their seat. They dance down the center aisle. And they put their offering in an offering plate up front. And I'm thinking, we got to do this sometime. <laughs> Actually, Eric Hansen, our international impact director, he bumps me because he knows I you know, had not exchanged any money. And so he gives me some African currency, and he says, you'll, you'll want this. And sure enough, I did want it because I wanted to dance down the center aisle and put mine in, which I did. So don't worry, we're not going to do this every week, you know, a couple times a month only. <laughs> you know, how, much joy, how much happiness there is when we recognize that the the source of the blessing. It's time for the blessing. It's time to honor God who's given us everything we have. We bring our tithes and our offerings back to him. Honoring God is the source of everything by thanksgiving and tithing. It'll break the stranglehold that accumulation has on our lives. You know, it's good to talk about it in this context. You know, so no one misunderstands. No one says, yeah, it's church and they're trying to, you know, crank up money for the budget and now, we're talking about breaking the stranglehold that accumulation has in your life by learning how to be a giver. That's what we're talking about. Third, here's the third lesson from Exodus 16. Distinguish between your wants, your needs and your wants. Distinguish between your needs and your wants. Go back to Exodus 16 one last time. Let, let me reread verses 16 to 18 to you. I'm going to put emphasis on a word that's repeated here. And uh, when you hear me put the emphasis there, if you got your Bible, you circle it or underline it, okay? 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. When they measured it by the omer, one who gathered much didn't have too much. One who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. What's the word? Need and needed. And it leads us to ask ourselves the question, do we understand the difference between our needs and our wants? Because we will never be prompted to say no to accumulation until we've learned to distinguish between these two categories. There are needs and there are wants. i got to warn you of something here. The whole goal of advertisers, when you're watching those NFL playoff games this afternoon, the whole goal of advertisers, the whole goal of retailers, of service providers, is to confuse those two categories in our minds. They want us to think that our wants are actually needs. I need this. So, so we end up with too much stuff. Now allow me to get real practical with you as we draw things to a close today. I'm going to suggest seven or eight applications that are guaranteed to protect you from wanting more than you need. And as I roll these out, I'm going to ask our worship teams uh, across our four campuses to join us on the platform. When I'm done with these seven or eight tips here, it's going to be real practical stuff. We're, we're going to sing a song as we collect our day's offering. How appropriate at the end of a message like today. You won't have to dance down the aisles. So if you're not a good dancer, don't worry. All right? But we're going to sing a worship song and collect our, our, our gifts. But here are some tips. And before I give them to you, let me remind you. You know, the principles in God's word we best not neglect, ignore, you know, push, push against. Be because, you know, they don't change. This is God's holy word. These are his commands. However, the applications I give you from time to time, when I say, hey, this is a good way to put it into practice, these are just my ideas. If you think that they stink, come up with your own. Okay? If you don't think these are good ideas, the principle is you've got to learn to distinguish between your needs and your wants. That's a biblical principle. Can't ignore that. Now, how do you do that? Here are our seven or eight suggestions. First, sign up for Christ Community Church's Money Life course. It's a nine-week course that teaches you how to manage your money from a biblical perspective. It started last weekend, but the people who lead it told me it's not too late to jump in. Jumping in the second week works. You just need to go online and register. And i got to warn the other campuses, we, we only hold this one at the St. Charles campus, but it's on Tuesday night. Hopefully you can make it here. Go online today. Say, we're going to throw our head over the fence. We're going to go to that Money Life uh, eight-week slap seminar and sign up for it. Number two, don't buy anything on credit. Okay, now, I'm not against the use of a credit card as long as you use it for convenience sake and you always, always pay it off at the end of the month. You never buy anything on credit. Number three, refrain from recreational shopping. Okay, is something entertaining to do. Did you, did you know there are more shopping malls in our country than there are high schools? See, I'm, I'm not making that up. You know, th those are our values. Okay, so when you go shopping, I would encourage you to go with a list. Here, here's why I'm shopping. These are the things I need. And that leads to number four, avoid impulse buying. Because when you go for the things you need, you're going to see things you want, but you're going to be telling yourself, you know, this happens to me every time I go to the hardware store. This is a guy thing, right? 
You're walking down the aisles going, oh, I need one of those, and I need one of those, and I need one of those. So, okay, don't buy them on the spot. Go home, and if you really need them a week later, then go back and buy it. Just don't walk out of the store with it on that date that you think you need it, okay? Avoid impulse buying. Number five, toss out all your catalogs. I mean, don't even bring them in from the mailbox. Did, did you know there's actually a catalog of catalogs out there? There are 12,000 different catalogs you could subscribe to. And I think we get like 11,900 of them at our house every, every week. And so when I go from the mailbox into the house, I stop by the garbage can and I lose all the catalogs. Why, why should I have them telling me what I need? Number six, borrow instead of own. How many times do you buy something that you're going to use once, twice, maybe three times? I was using a buddy's pickup truck not too long ago to haul some lumber. At the end of the day, I say to Sue, I need me a pickup truck. I don't need a pickup truck. I need a friend who owns a pickup truck. You know? So if you own one, I'm probably going to mooch off you. But you know what? I don't, if I own something you could use, feel free to mooch off of me. See, this is the way it works. We don't have to own everything if we can borrow it. Number seven, don't insist on new. You know, boy, with vehicles, this is a, a big deal. When I bought that Ford Escape, I bought it with 30,000 miles on it. That is not a lot of mileage, but I, the, the, the amount of dollars it knocked off the price just to buy something with a year or two's worth of mileage on it, amazing. A lot of stuff that you could buy used. Now, number eight, when you're buying a want, this is my last one, but follow this carefully. When you're buying a want, calculate the difference between that want and your genuine need, and then give away an equal amount to the Lord's work. Okay, you say, well, what does this mean? It's like this. You need a piano. Your kids are going to take piano lessons. They can't take piano lessons without a piano. You need a piano. So you go out shopping for your simple, basic, upright piano. But you see this, you see this baby grand, and you're thinking, wouldn't that look sweet in the living room? So go ahead, buy the baby grand for your living room, but subtract the difference between the baby grand and your basic upright piano and give an equal amount to the Lord's work. It will slow you down in your spending if you'll practice that. You know, you're going to go on vacation. It's, it's 10 hours away. It's a, it's a drive. It's a day's drive. I'm not talking about going to the West Coast, but you know, something you could do in a leisurely drive, and you say, uh, we don't want to drive. We'd rather fly. Okay, calculate the difference between what it's going to cost to fly and what it's going to cost to drive and give the difference an equal amount to the Lord's work. I'm not talking about making that part of your tithe. I'm saying over and above what, what you, you tithe, give away the difference between your wants and your needs. Okay, this is a big deal. This is liberating stuff we've been looking at today. You're not going to want to apply the tips I just gave you unless, number one, you understand the dangers of having too much. Point number, lesson number one. Say, well, I don't, I don't want the dangers. I don't want my relationship with God to suffer. I don't want stuff to rot in my life. I don't want to be exhausted instead of rested. You've got to understand the dangers or you're not, not going to want to apply what we've learned today. And then secondly, you've got to really want to honor God as the provider of everything you have. Then you'll...